Good evening. So glad you're here. Glad you are part of this time together. Can y'all hear me? Josh, they can't hear me. Josh, they can't hear me. And apparently you can't hear me either. Josh can't even hear me, so I know y'all can't hear me. So, now can you hear me? Oh, okay. A little bit better? Let me share with you a few announcements. Hey, Trey, shut that door, please. Thank you. Last one in, shut the door. Now I just told everybody you were late. Um, If you look at your midweek, everybody's got one of these. You're trying to memorize it, even as we speak. Um, Your ladies' Bible study starts tomorrow night. I think I heard there are like 30 women signed up for that. We're not going to call that a small group. Um, But we sure are grateful for that. And... um, seen some of the studies, and it's going to be a great opportunity. And then this coming Sunday at 5 is our uh, family meeting. Got some things to talk about, go through for the family meeting. So I um, plan on being here for that if you're members, and that'll be um, a wonderful time to go. We'll, we'll have fellowship at 5, have supper, and then um, after that we'll have our meeting in here. Uh, let me see what else. Oh, and a part of the family meeting, we, you know, that that's quarterly, and we um, we collect food pantry items for um, for people who come to us during the week and have special needs. So uh, there's a list here. Uh, if you can, you know, clean out your pantry at home and bring some of those things, but don't bring us outdated things. You know, we still have to take, check the date, and if it's out of date, we throw it away. So uh, don't, don't, don't give us extra work to do. Just check the date before you bring it. When you clean out your pantry, check the date. That would be great. Um, Janice, you want to say anything about the study tomorrow night? Pray for uh, the study and uh, come. Did I say come early or something? Yeah. Be some organization and all that at the beginning. So come, come early for that. Okay. Who the tables are cleaned off? Trudy's here. <laughs> Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, God, for this time together. For. Um, your grace in our lives uh, for uh, Wednesday. We can gather as church family for the sweet time around the tables tonight. For everything that takes place in this place this evening, this study and choir and children's choir and children's study and all that's going on, we just pray that you'll be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. We pray for the 
women's study that begins tomorrow night. We thank you for those that have signed up and pray that you would prepare their hearts. Uh, particularly give Janice grace as she gets ready to lead the study and and um, for our worship this coming Sunday, Lord, we pray that you prepare all our hearts uh, to worship you in spirit and in truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, I'll read you a story quickly. Out of Mark chapter 5. Got a little sore throat. Uh, Pastor Greg's on vacation, so y'all pray for them. They're traveling. And uh, hope they have a good vacation. Um, <clears throat> so they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he always he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, and numbering about 2,000, rushed down a steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there. This is the important part. Sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. There are a few pictures so great in Scripture how God can change a life. And I love that verse 15. 
sitting there with Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. It's more than can be said about me. I'm clothed. And I tell you that just as a description. We're not even going to talk about that passage. But a description of how life is meant to be lived to the fullest. Unfortunately, for many of us, it's just a life of existence. This man's a perfect picture of that. Needs deliverance to a new life. And Jesus just crossed paths with him. It's part of God's providential plan in his life, but it just seems like Jesus crossed paths with him. Restored his life, changed his life. His life went from a terrible, terrible existence to being a fulfilling and fruitful life. Immediately he goes and proclaims Jesus. When we preach through passages here from time to time, there are times that we wish we could just stop and park somewhere and talk about it a little more. Um, We choose not to because of our schedule, because the passages that we've chosen for me to preach or Pastor Greg to preach fits in, in this particular time frame and and uh, there's a lot that goes on in the preaching plan but you know there there are times where you wish you could just grab that one verse or whatever and and park um, and so that said recently we have gone past one of those passages that for me would be one of those places that we could just sit down and park and Pastor Greg, I knew it was going to be out of town this week. And um, I thought, well, I have a captive audience. And um, so I want to look at that particular passage. Tonight, I want, to, I want us to look at John 10.10. 10. Um, and it's a part of a... Um, a paragraph that is greater and teaches us more, but that is certainly the key verse for me. And I know you might not have your Bibles. Normally, I wouldn't put the evening text or the day's text on the screen, but I think I did this time. This is just because you aren't used to bringing your Bibles on Wednesday night, <clears throat> or at least I'm not. So uh, let, let me read 7 through 11 for you. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, you see that? He's, he's the door, but we already know that he's the good shepherd too. So he's the shepherd of the sheep. He's also the door. Um, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I've always been um, puzzled by that abundant life. Um, I've always been confused by it. Um, I'm not really sure what it means. And uh, after spending some time on it, uh, which I have for the last probably 50 years, I'm still not sure what it means. Um, But hopefully we can gain some perspective together tonight as we... Look at that. What, what, I mean, what, 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 what do people say when you, um, when you ask the question, life is blank? Ah, well, Forrest Gump says, <laughs> like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. But there's some truth to that, right? Scott Peck and... A book he wrote many years ago just simply says life is difficult. Um, someone said, life is not a dress rehearsal. You only get to live it once. There's some truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. And then um, it, it, some say it's a rat race. Um, like Teresa, some says a bowl of cherries. Uh, some say, um, I, I don't go on the next one, a series of choices, um, a party. Maybe that's the abundant life, a party. Why is it that we always want to reduce life to something we can put into our small brains like that? Something we can describe easily and Simply and just in a pithy way. Why is it that we want to do that? Because it's, it, 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 life is a great thing, especially for the believer. And I'm not sure, we, like I say, I'm not sure that, that I can grasp what that abundant life fully means. But I want to take this text and see if we can uh, come to grips with at least some of what this text means for us. A little further beyond what Pastor Greg, when he preached through it, although what he preached was very, very helpful, and we'll refer to some of that tonight as well. First he says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Now he's talking about life. He's talking about the life of the sheep. Here, and uh, and so the first thing we want to know: what are who, who are or what are the thieves of life? Uh, for many people, life is nothing but that time period between birth and death, uh, and even there's uh, there's some truth to that. To some people, it's it's drudgery. Life is just drudgery. Just get up. Do it, go to bed, get up the next day, do life, go to bed, get up the next day, do life. Just the drudgery 
of existence, that can steal life out of anybody. And to some people, that same scenario would just be a boring routine. Does your life seem like a boring routine? Get up, do it, do life, go to bed, get up, do life, go to bed. To some people, it's, it's life to them is just hoping that they have enough fuel in the tank at the end of the day or even at the end of life. So those are some of the the those are some of the things that steal life out of people. And those people who see life as a drudgery or just an ongoing routine, um, they've bought into some sort of lie about what what's offered in this life. So Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Those who came before me were thieves and robbers. Then in verse 10, he goes, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He's got that familiar scene of shepherds uh, on a hillside, keeping watch over their flock. Okay. Um, And Pastor Greg described, you'll remember, how he described this for, uh, so well for us the, uh, a number of weeks back. That the job of the shepherd was to lead, and the job of the shepherd was to protect, and the, and the job of the shepherd was to feed the sheep. But in those days, there were thieves and robbers. And those thieves and robbers, they're... Their heart's desire was to take away the livelihood of those Jewish shepherds. By what? Stealing. And you know the same, as I thought through this, the same is so true today. That Satan and the world is out there and, and the desire is to steal your life from you. And there are many paths that we travel and that lead to a life of destruction. All of us were on that path at some point. Some of us are still on that path. And we wouldn't necessarily use the words thieves and, and robbers to describe those things that steal life from us today. But there are many, many, we could, we, I'm, I'm not going to ask you a question because we could list on and on and on what those things are. Where do people go to find life to only discover emptiness? I want, to, I, want, I want that party. Where do I go to find that? And when I find it, it's only emptiness. Where do people go? Well, people, I've got some alliteration for you. Finally, I'm not really good at that 
pleasure, performance, possessions, position, and pursuits. Pleasure. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? Well, I know, gracious, really? I never have, and I have no desire to, actually. Um, okay, I won't use that illustration. <laughs> you just messed up the whole message. I didn't, I didn't know the entire church has been on a cruise but me. Uh, oh, okay, Aldi, thank you. Are those people, you know, are, and I know some personally, just working, working, work. Their lives are that routine. It's that drudgery because they're working so hard so they can retire in some luxurious setting. Or have just had their fantasies fulfilled. And they think to themselves, that would be living. That would be living. And yet many people have done these things, gone from cruise to cruise. Are retired with the retirement that they really worked hard for. Are thousands of other things. They brought them pleasure, seeking that out. Just the other day, I had a conversation with someone who said they were talking to somebody else, and it reminded them in that conversation, because that person was well off. It reminded them in that conversation, money will not buy you a life. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 8. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. And try as you may in your pursuit of pleasure, eventually the law of diminishing returns takes hold. Why? Because it takes a bigger thrill. It takes a longer cruise. Um, It takes a bigger ship. Uh, it takes a bigger event. Eventually that takes hold. And it may be great, but the greatness of it all is only temporary. You won't find life in performance. Eventually, workaholics, such as me, learn that the satisfaction of one job completed. Isn't that a great thing? I told somebody the other day I love to paint. They thought I was a fool. Because you, 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 you start the job, you finish the job, and you can see what you do. My entire life has been as a pastor. I'll, I'll, ne- I'll never see the end of it. I don't see the fruit of it. Um, and so, that's why I like to paint. I see the job done. I never see my job done. 
I mean, unless I walk down the hall and unstop a toilet. Um, Wimbledon tennis champion. Thought all his life that winning that major tournament would result in a life that he would ne- as he had never known. And he said sometime after that, the thrill of victory lasts about 15 minutes. As a myth that's circulated for years, that success produces life. That's really an American thing. The American work ethic, you know, bigger and better and all that. Uh, I think that's almost exclusively an American thing, that success produces life. Um, and, 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 and the church is bought into that, too. If, if it's bigger, it's better. Right? The church is bought into that. So the big churches are the successful ones, right? The church, the, 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 we, we've bought into that. Um, and that, that's the failure of that particular mindset that success produces life. Again, in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 8. One person, has, one person has no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappy, unhappy business. The Good News Bible says, man is always working, never satisfied. Simplifies it for us. You certainly won't find it in possessions. Um, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So have you ever asked yourself, maybe those of you that are a little bit older, why is it that I have more money than I have ever had before and I'm less content? Now, those of you that are young and you're struggling with paying the bills right now think, boy, I can't wait till I get to asking that question. <laughs> or dreaming of winning the lottery or wasting money on those, buying those lottery tickets. Somebody said once the lottery is a tax on stupid people. While I was working on this, sitting down in a waiting room at the VA hospital this morning, typing on this on my computer, typing this very paragraph, Publisher's Clearinghouse ad came on the, on the TV in the waiting room. How would you like to win $5,000 a week? Not just for life, but forever. Yeah, now they got a, I don't know. Has anybody ever won this thing? Uh, but now, now you can pass it, pass it on to a beneficiary. As if $5,000 a week would make life okay. You won't find it in position. 
you know, you think about promotion, you think about the perfect job, you have to reach a certain status. Uh, that status allows you to be able to live in a certain area, and then you'll be happy. And here's the deal. Someone once says we spend our whole life trying to keep up with the Joneses until we find the Joneses refinanced. And those people who have reached that position still have not found that secret of fulfilling life. It's another thief. Pleasure is a thief. Performance is a, the performance mindset is a thief. Possessions take, steal life from us. Our, our desire for a position, power. I didn't even put power. I should have done power. Another P. Nor will you find in pursuits. Some people are just deluded into thinking that if they stay busy enough, their pace of life remains at some sort of intense level and that, that they can, they'll discover life somehow. Yet with all the stress and the ulcers and the heart attacks, still busyness can be their only escape. So the thief's interests are entirely selfish. You understand that? The thief's interests are entirely selfish. He steals, kills for food, even destroys the sheep. The thief only comes to harm the flock and has no interest in the welfare of the flock. And these thieves, every single one of them masquerades as a giver of life. But actually they give nothing but destruction and disease and death and downfall. That life may be temporary. That life from pleasure or from performance or possessions or position or position. It it, it may be temporary. And it's not real life. Second thing we see in this passage is the source. Not only the thieves of life, but the source of life. Both sides. So, life is not found in pleasure, performance, possessions, and on and on. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. But I, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. The giver of life, the author of life. Um, we'll, we'll, use, we'll go to this verse on Sunday, 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this one, I have come that they may have life. Okay, so he's, we'll get, we'll get to these double meanings, but he, he is the life and he comes that we might have life. And the I in this is, uh, is emphatic. The word we use in Greek grammar that there's, it's, there's stress. On the word here. We'll look at that word in just a minute. 
and life is entered life for you is entered no other way than through Jesus Christ so for us to understand how this life uh, how we enter into this life that can be abundant we must understand that there's a special relationship uh, between the shepherd and the sheep. We know about that. We've talked about that. We've preached about that. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. That sounds kind of strange. But it wouldn't sound, it would, it would sound more strange if we went hadn't heard Pastor Greg preach on that, right? If I ask you to explain what does he mean by I am the door of the sheep, you might not be able to explain if you hadn't heard Pastor Greg preach on it. A couple of weeks ago. He's the door. He's the gate. He's not only the shepherd, but he's the door. Uh, we see in verse 7. That's what a shepherd does. He's devoted to a sheep. So he's the door. Um, there is a story. George Adam Smith, an Englishman, was visiting the Middle East and he had a conversation with the shepherd and he asked him about uh, all of that, um, about how the sheep are safe at night. And the shepherd did tell him, I'm the door of the sheep. And he asked him to explain it. He said, when the light has gone out, the shepherd said to him, and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space. Just like Pastor, remember, Pastor Greg showed us pictures. And no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I'm the door. I'm the gate. So, when he says that he's the door, he meant that as the door, there's only one entrance. The the door. There's only one entrance. Life only has one source. Spiritual nourishment can only be obtained one way. Heaven can only be entered to by one entrance. There is only one way. And a single aspect to all of that is the access that we have through the life of Jesus. No one comes to the Father but by me. So we see those things that steal life, the, thing, the, the thieves that steal life, we see the source of life, that what is the significance of life itself? Now we're talking about life, and you might say, well, I have life, I'm, you know, I already have life. I'm breathing. <laughs> My heart's pumping blood. Yeah, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Back in chapter 1, verse 4, we read, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This takes us to some of those dual meanings that we have throughout the Gospel of John. And we've talked about those some, too. He is life, and he gives life. And it's hard for us to wrap our heads around. Or, okay, I'll speak for myself. It's hard for me to wrap my head around 
He is light and He gives light. He is bread. He provides bread. He's the light, well, the light of the world. He gives light. We did light already. He's the resurrection and He provides resurrection. I am the resurrection. Then he provides resurrection for us. Life is, it's one of John's great teachings. And now I, we don't even, I, I talk about sitting and parking on one particular passage. Sometimes I want to sit and park on one particular word. John uses the word life um, more than any other New Testament writer. We have this word 36 times in this gospel. No other book has it more than 17. And that's Revelation. Romans has the word life 14 times. The next one down 13 times is that little 1 John. (laughs) So more than 25% of all the uses of the word life in the New Testament, we find in the Gospel of John. It's important. It can be, and John does use it this way, it can be used as eternal life. For instance, John three fifteen, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. But here, in this particular passage... I am come that they might have life. He used it in a much broader sense. It's only because that there is life in the logos or in the word that there is life in anything in earth at all. And it's not spoken as we have life by the word or we have it's not spoken of we have life through the word. We have life in the Word. Word with a capital W. So John constantly associates life with the Word or the Logos. We see the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's not talking about eternal life there. That's a part of it. But he's talking about life in a much broader sense. He died that we might have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whosoever believes in, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He gave his flesh for the life of the world. John 6:51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And only those who eat his flesh and drink his blood have this life. We've talked we've been through that chapter, John six fifty three. So Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Only those who come to him have life as well, John five forty. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And when he gives life 
Nobody dies. John 10.28 I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And he, he declares that he has, he has the power to lay down his life. He has the power to take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And he did that. He did lay it down. He did take it up again. And he called himself life. We've looked at those passages. He said here in 11.25, this coming Sunday, I'm the resurrection and the life. Then a few chapters later, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he called himself life. And back in chapter 1, when he said that life was the light of men. There are some people who interpret that as intelligence. You read some commentaries, you say, what does that light, the light of men really mean? It's intelligence. But it's, it's clear that John's not just talking about one aspect of, of mankind. It's more like what we see in the Old Testament. It's a great verse in and Psalm 36, Psalm 36, verse 9. For with you, talking about the Father, is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. With you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. One of the best descriptions of it all. Of, of what John is talking about that we have in Scripture. That's what John had in mind. He's writing about the Word, the Logos. So clearly the meaning is that the Word, who is the life, is also the light of men. Chapter 1, verse 4 particularly, is preparing the way for the thought that runs throughout this gospel that Jesus is the life bringer and Jesus is the light bearer and he's the only one. And the light that he gives, the life that he gives is infinitely and eternally different from the life that you were born with. Uh, Greek Vocabulary helps us um, see this a little bit more clearly. The Greek language. The Greek language has six words for life. Two of them are helpful for us. Um, bios. Um, English word biology comes from that. It, talks, it refers to the duration of life. It refers to your lifespan, uh, the time that time between your birth and your death. Uh, it, uh, bios also refers to the necessities of life, our food and our shelter and our clothing. So when you see that in Greek, when you're reading your Greek tomorrow, you see bios, that you know that's what it's talking about. We have one word. For that word, life. Um, Greeks have six. Zoe, 
uh, is the second one that's helpful for us. Um, that's where we get zoo. That's where we get zoology. All those words come uh, from this. Uh, Vine's uh, Dictionary of Old Testament and New Testament Words uh, says this. Of life as a principle. That's what Zoe is talking about. Life in an absolute sense. Life as God has it. That which the Father has in himself and which he gave to the incarnate Son to have in himself and which the Son manifested in the world. From this life, man has become, from this life, man has become alienated in consequence of the fall. And of this life, men become partakers through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Vines goes on about that. So it refers to the life as God has it. The life that belongs to God, that becomes ours when we cross the doorway of Jesus Christ and enter into that relationship with the Father. No, no, no. Mm-mm. No. You'll, you'll, you'll see Zoe in other forms, too. It's not duration. Zoe is not referring to duration like bios is. Um, because this life is not limited. The, the, the life that God has is not limited to time. And it's not hindered by death. We talked about that last Sunday. It's not a possession. Rather, it's, it's, it's more like an infilling. God, once again, breathing his life into the sheep. So, when you were born, you were given bios. When you were born again, you were given zoe. And then he talks about the superabundance of life. Jesus goes on to quantify this life. And you know, let me stop right there. I thought, when I knew this was coming up tonight, I thought, but God's given me a great idea to talk about this. And the further I got, the more... I don't always feel as inadequate as I did trying to deal with this matter. Not sounding trite. How do I talk about life in ways that are, would be astounding to you? How would I talk about the abundant life in ways that would just bowl you over and make you realize how really spiritual I am? And I realized I can't do it. He goes on to say, and have it abundantly. Depending on the translation, it's translated abundantly in the ESV. Uh, um, It can be fullness. It can be overflowing. It can be all kinds of things. The NIV says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
Um, the New Living Translation, that's a paraphrase. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's why it's paraphrased. Um, the Holman um, Bible, uh, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. The Message, paraphrase, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Actually, a pretty good paraphrase. So what's meant by this word? What's meant by abundance? What's meant by have it in abundance, abundantly? What's meant to have a super abundance of a thing? Excess. What? Harvest? Yeah, good. Huh? It's hard, isn't it? To be a follower of Jesus, to know who he is and, and, and what he means. Certainly that's a part of it. You don't have the abundant life without him. That's to have a superabundance of life. There's a vitality in that life that only Jesus gives. There's a new meaning to that light, there's a new energy to that light, there's a new purpose to that life. It means to have a new significance. It means to have a new outlook. It means to have a new hope. It means to have a new joy. It's a new life. It's hard to explain. And quite possibly you could do it better. In fact, I'm pretty sure you could do it better. Because I don't, I frankly don't get it. I thought about this, though. <clears throat> Put it in my simple, feeble mind. My dad gave me my first car. In, um, I think, 1971. Uh, it was a 67 Volkswagen Beetle. Greatest car on earth. It was great. My first car. It ran. It got good mileage. Um, it got me where I was going. And I don't think it ever failed me. But what if Dad said, Frank, would you like to have a Ferrari instead of that VW? I was a teenager, of course. It would be great. But it still would have got me where I was going. Uh, it wouldn't fail me. Having that car instead of the VW, did it change my destination? Nope. Did it get me? To my destination? Yep. Would I have been the envy of every student at St. Andrews High School here in West Ashley? Yep. Would I feel better about myself driving that Ferrari instead of that VW Beetle? You bet I would. 
on the road, people would stare at my cool car. I might get, I might have gotten a little more respect than I got with that beetle. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot more friends. <laughs> That's true. I'd have had a friend. <laughs> it's an upgrade. I do think you can live the Christian life and not live it abundantly. And I do think most of us are settling for that. We're just getting by our walk with Christ. You've rented cars before. You ever walked up to the county and say, you want to upgrade? You've flown before. Now, I have not had anybody say this. You want to upgrade flying. What was God up to when he sent his son? If nothing but upgrading the life we had. Through Christ, he's offering to us Not just a good life, but a better life. Oh, not just a better life, but the best. Not just a full life, but a fuller life. And I'm not talking about your best life now. I'm talking about something that far exceeds that. And that abundant life is going to entail suffering and trouble and trial. Everything else that goes with life. In fact, for you to get to that point to where you are living and experiencing the abundant life, you may have to go through more suffering and trial and trouble than most people. The guy that's, that, 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 that's seeking possessions, he probably can buy himself out of most of his troubles. So if I can be pithy and not disrespectful in any way, Jesus is much like our cosmic travel agent. And if you're not already on board, Christ wants you to get on board. Because it is a it's a wonderful life. The ticket's free. But you still must receive it by responding to the Holy Spirit's call in your life. And while you're on that journey, every single day He's offering you an upgrade. That you can live it to the fullest. That you can live it abundantly. That's the gift, too. We take advantage of it. It's our call to take advantage of what He has to offer for us. And doing that requires obedience to the Master. Doing that requires obeying the Good Shepherd. 
when you do, there's a great promise too. It's really a wonderful life. Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And that's, that's verse... Uh, can you put that first slide back up, Josh? That's, that's verse 7. I'm the door of the sheep. And I don't have time now. We're going home. But verse 11... Go, now go to the next slide, verse 11. The door of the sheep lays down his life. What, 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 what did the shepherd do at the door? He laid down his life. And there's so many thieves that are coming to kill and destroy and take away your life. It could be unemployment. It could, it, it, it could be um, all the thieves that I've mentioned already. What? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah. And the hope to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I don't know if that's helpful, but I'd encourage you to consider um, what what the abundant life means to you, whether you're living it or not, and how do you get to what Jesus promised? Because it's a promise. It really is. You think about that. Let's stand and close with prayer. Um, our greeters, I think, have a meeting right now. They're standing here, or where? Uh, we will meet in uh, Okay. All right. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. We thank you for, for the life that you offer us, that you promise us. Give us grace to more clearly understand. Now, what you're saying in this passage and in every passage we encounter. Open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to your great truths. And Lord, as we go home, we pray that you give us good nights for us and we'll wake up refreshed, ready to serve you another day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.